Hello and welcome to the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Ready. This is Stephen Robles, and we have a couple special episodes coming at you this week and next. Seth and Nerva actually had the opportunity to go to the National Religious Broadcasters Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. While they were there, they got to hear Attorney General William Barr speak and Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos, and they got to interact with so many names in the Christian world. And they also got to interview some, and that's what you'll be hearing this episode and next. So we will be getting to that in a moment. Did want to celebrate... We actually crossed 100,000 downloads of the Free Mind podcast. Awesome milestone. Thank you, every listener, for helping us get here. And we appreciate your support, your comments, your ratings on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate that all you have done for the Free Mind podcast. And we look forward to many more episodes and many more hundreds of thousands of downloads coming in the future. But before we get to the interview, just want to give you an idea that Seth and Nerva were kind of running around getting these different interviews, so it'll be a little bit of a pass-the-mic situation between them and our guests, but it's still going to be a great interview. And before we jump into it, we want to mention Impact 360. You know, I've been hearing from so many parents of teenagers needing resources to help them with their high school and college-age students address some of the issues that they're facing in culture. You know, the Generation Z kids born between 1999 and 2015, they're really the first post-Christian generation. You know, atheist is no longer a dirty word or something that they don't understand. It's something they encounter every day. This is why we need to prepare our children with a biblical foundation to understand truth and worldview so they can be prepared to address these challenges they're going to face in their high schools and colleges in the coming years. Impact 360 Institute has created life-changing experiences to help this generation in particular. They have a holistic methodology where students will learn philosophy, engage with the tough questions of faith and life, and they have incredible names that they will be learning from like J.P. Moreland, Frank Turek, John Stone Street, and so many more. They'll be grounded in biblical community at Impact 360 and apply what they are learning by living out their faith locally and globally through servant leadership. And so if you have a teenager or high school student and college student that you want to make sure has that firm foundation in biblical truth and that they are ready for the challenges that are coming in college in the years after, we encourage you to check out Impact 360 Institute's nine-month gap year, which is something that is a new program. We encourage you to check that out. And they also have their one- and two-week summer experiences for high schoolers and even a graduate program. So you can check all that out at impact360.org. If you think your student may be a good fit, there are limited spots left for that 2020 to 2021 class. So we encourage you to start that application process right away. And here's the best part. For our FreeMind listeners, you can use the promo code FREEMIND and get that application fee totally waived for these programs. So go to impact360.org apply your high schooler for some of these programs and use the promo code FREEMIND to waive that application fee. And now here's Seth and Nerva coming from the National Religious Broadcasters Conference. All right, so here we are live from NRB again. I have met a new couple friends. Wild story. So you guys that have been following with us, you know that we are in transition. We are on our way from Florida to the East Bay, San Francisco Bay area, Dublin. And um, oddly enough, um, we had just gotten our podcast put in the press 
page for NRB, and we got one call out of the blue because they could. They, apparently, my email was wrong. Uh, so, do, so don't let your computer choose the email for you. But that's what happened on it. Uh, and this this gentleman calls and leaves a message and says he's from the San Francisco area and he has written a book of the very topic that we often cover here on the Free Mind Podcast. So I was so excited; it felt like a godsend right away, and in a, a, a really cool connection. And the book is entitled "The Third Sex." question mark revisited and subtitle homosexual and transgender issues from a biblical perspective the gentleman's name is kent philpot he's got an mdiv and a dmin on here so he's going to be bringing that heat uh i i normally try to read every book that we can before we do an interview but because of the move and because of everything that's been going on this will be the the rare occasion where i actually read it after but i really look forward to diving into this book so thank you uh kent so much for coming on today and i want you to maybe just start well, you know, The Third Sex is kind of an interesting title. What's the book about, basically, and why did you write it? Let me start, Seth, with um, a little background. I became a Christian when I was 21. I was in the military. I was poised to be a psychologist, um, BA, and almost finished with an MA in psych, going to be a school psychologist. My conversion sort of changed my trajectory changed where I was going, and when I found out that I couldn't tell high school kids about Jesus, so I went to seminary. What happened after I got out of the military, I went to the seminary, became a street preacher in the Haight-Ashbury. I was a hippie. I was a, I was a hippie, and started in February of 1967 developed uh, all kinds of different forms of ministry, mainly uh, Christian communes and house churches, and then left San Francisco and moved to Marin County, where I'd lived before. We started a church, and we uh, started a Christian bookstore, and I had my office in the Christian bookstore, and I ran the Marin Christian Counseling Center. I didn't charge any money because I was not licensed. In one week, three men made appointments with me. I didn't know them before. Neither one of them knew the other. All three said the exact same thing to me. I am a Christian. I am a homosexual. And I don't want to be a homosexual because I know that's wrong. I could even give you the names. Uh, One was a school teacher. One was a relatively famous artist in Sausalito. Other one had an import-export business in San Anselmo. These gentlemen are all gone now, not on the planet. During the weekend after that, I wondered, is this the hand of God? So when I came back into the office Monday, I asked the person who kept the appointments for me if they had contact information for them. Yes. I called all three of them that Monday evening. Sometime later in the week, we met together in my office. We continued to meet. They brought in three lesbians. One of them, out of 1 John chapter 3, said we ought to call ourselves love in action. Well, we did. That eventually morphed into Exodus, which became the world's largest ex-gay ministry. Uh, to, <clears throat> they may have been. As a matter of fact, you're right. Uh, Love in Action came 
to Nashville. But it's since, uh, since all of that is, has gone away. What I did was I wanted to promote, we wanted to promote this ministry. And these guys suggested it. It wasn't really my idea. But since I had a book published already by Zondervan, um, was actually a master's thesis, a Manual of Demonology and the Occult, which is still available, <laughs> pirated long time ago. But um, we interviewed for a book called The Third Sex Question Mark, six gay people, three men, three women. Interesting, Seth, that all three started out believing that they had been born gay. I'm not a, I don't want to credit myself for being a sophisticated therapist or counselor, but in the course of time, as I recorded these and made them in, turn it into a book, they all came to realize that they were not born gay, that various things had taken place in the parent-child relationship, they're growing up, and it became convenient to just say, I was born gay. It was a place to, place to hide. So we published that book, Logos International, published that book. John Malachek, the guy who ran it, was not going to do it. I stood in his office in Plainfield, New Jersey, and argued him with him. Finally, he stood up, shook my hand, said, we'll publish it. So he published The Third Sex, and then two years later, we published The Gay Theology. Four more testimonies, two men, two women, and I had a little more solid grasp of, of the gay life. I didn't really know much what it was all about early on. I was pretty ignorant. So we published those two books. People came from everywhere. The church that I pastored, about 375 in the morning, about 200 of the 375 had come to Love in Action. It was a, turned out to be a very large thing. I walked away from it in 1978 and continued on. So, I mean, that's probably a good, good start for to hand the microphone back to you, Seth. No, that's a good start. So you had this experience with these people coming in. I wonder, I, I'm just curious. I, I, we don't have to get into this, but I'm curious to know if at this phase in San Francisco, if people would come in and assume that the homosexuality was even wrong biblically these days. But I think that's part of the question is there's this, there's this stream of pro-gay theology kind of sweeping through the church and many, you know, quote unquote, progressive Christians and all this type of thing have moved away from that perspective. Um, but why you said you published this book, how long ago did you publish it? And then tell us, um, just kind of like may give us, give us maybe a quick sketch, a walkthrough of what you cover in this book. About six or seven years ago, I wrote an update that I called the third sex revisited, but I never published it. I don't know why I didn't. I just wasn't ready to deal with it. Uh, very busy in all of the things we were engaged in, and I just let it sit there on my computer. But then two, three years ago, became aware of the transgender movement, which shocked me. I didn't understand it very well, and so I began to do some research on it, and the result is this book. I put it I put the transgender issue together with the book I had written because I wanted to bring the whole third sex thing up to date and provide some new material, particularly when I, when I saw the culture 
moving radically away from a biblical perspective, which I'm sure people thought this is the the best thing to do. You know, this is how they are. We want them to live a good life. But from the Christian perspective, there's something more than following your feelings, which only leads, leads to, well, destruction, and eternal destruction at that. Katie and I began to be concerned about this particular issue, the transgender. So I did my research, published the book. It's, it's been out three weeks. This is it. It's just a brand new piece of work. We did a book signing yesterday, yesterday, Katie, and we had 50 copies. Six or seven of the people who came up to get a copy said they had a son or daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter who were transitioning. One of these was a, a pastor's wife who said their, their teenager was transitioning now. Uh, and my research had already led me to what was going on in the UK. Uh, and it turned out that the tsunami of transgender had reached there before it reached us here in America. And it was a simply, from many people's perspective, a complete disaster. One of the books that I covered here, I covered, Seth, I covered three books here. One, I covered a, a book by a fellow about 26, 27 years old now named Austin Hartke. His book is called Transforming the Bible and the Lives of Transgender Christians. I tell you, I don't know if he was a genuine Christian or not, but he did experience rejection from many churches, and some of them were evangelical churches. Now, here's a, a female transforming to a male calling himself bisexual. And I saw the impetus of many of liberal, but even some not-so-liberal church denominations embracing a transgender. Uh, that was curious to me. The next book I, I read and was by a book by the name of Andrew Walker, a solid Christian, the seminary professor, forward Albert Moeller, and it laid out the, uh, a solid Christian position on uh, homosexuality. And then the most startling one, Seth, is Douglas Murray's The Madness of Crowds, Gender, Race, and Identity. Do you know the name uh, uh, Douglas Murray? Oh, did you? Powerful book. He is a non solid non-Christian. He is a gay man, and he's very against transgender. His position is, well, wait a minute. Why transgender? If you're born male and you're attracted to males, why not just go be gay? Why transition? Why transition? He's against it. The, the part of the, the, um, the name of the book, The Madness, has to do with the clustering. Clustering means, and a very important concept, and we see it starting to happen here in America in, in schools, you have a, you have a, you have a young person let's say in an eighth grade, says, I'm in the wrong body. Well, uh, a week later, two weeks later, there's a few more saying the same thing. A couple months later, there's more saying the same thing. And then as time goes on, it's like an epidemic that's sweeping through a particular demographic. That's called clustering, or as Murray calls it, madness. It, it, it moves like a wave. So 
very interesting, and I think that that's probably developing now in America. And frankly, I'm puzzled, Seth. I, you think I, I should have an understanding of this and know what to do? I don't. It is a very difficult phenomenon. The, the issue of gayness, of homosexuality, a little clearer because we know it's a direct violation of Scripture, dangerous violation of Scripture. But the transgender issue is different. Now, Katie and I have found ourselves between after this and some of the people who contacted where we're trying, they're wondering if we have any words of wisdom for how to deal with and help parents that are having kids or grandkids or close friends or siblings or maybe a wife or a husband. So we have, Katie and I have come up with a few things, and I'm going to say a couple, and I'd like to, could I hand it to Katie? Um, One of the things is um, when someone announces at whatever age that they feel trapped in a boy's or a girl's body is to encourage them to wait a while. Let's think this through. Uh, Let's go through puberty. Uh, let's talk about this. Let's think about this. Let's pray about this. Uh, in other words, to put off the immediate movement to two years of of counseling, hormone treatment, surgery, and so on. Because what's been found is a number of people, and this is so new that there's not a lot of stats on it. There's a lot of people, they get through the process and wish that they hadn't, and are reversing. It's, it's so new, to me at least, it's so new to me that I'm unclear. I don't want to make too many statements on, on numbers and so on, but from my limited experience, I've found that there are people who want to go back. Somebody says, what, what do I do? We think that one of the things is not to reject the person, not to feel that, uh, that they're unloved, to continue to love them, they're part of the family, they're close friends, there's, there's strong familial connections, because people do change their minds. Sometimes it takes a while for a person to begin to see what they're doing. When they start reacting in the world and they find out, ooh, this is where this is all going, information, experience, and so time is, is the element acceptance time is the element uh on 60 minutes about a month ago there was a a kid who was two or three years old who said they were in the wrong body now they showed this individual at eight years old and the conclusion of the mother was right on 60 minutes cbs he knows exactly what he wants to do that's incredible Uh, that's way too young um rush to judgment, you almost wonder, when, when somebody transitions, Seth, they receive a lot of attention, a lot of attention. Uh, many kids don't like themselves very well. They feel shunned by their kids at school. But all of a sudden, you announce you're transitioning, and you get all this attention. Uh, special treatment. And I think that it, it moves a child along into that process. Human sexuality has gotten messed up from the beginning. I talk about that. I go through the chapters of Genesis. God made us male and female. 
He said, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, we have all of the information from the Creator about how we're made. And as soon as the first humans, Adam and Eve, sinned against God, they discovered they were naked. They didn't know it before. There's no indication that they, Adam and Eve were not having sexual relationships before the fall. We don't have any information. We can't say one way or another. However, we, we can say that the human, the human population has been negatively impacted in terms of our sexuality. It, we've been messed up forever. Uh, we find in Leviticus that uh, homosexuality is a sin against God. We find it in the New Testament. You know, a lot of people try to say, it's not talking about homosexuality. Sophisticated, biblically-oriented Christians know that that's just a dodge, place to hide. There are a lot of sexual problems. It's not, it's not just homosexuality. It's through our culture. Uh, there was a CT article uh, that named a high percentage of Christian pastors who are engaged in porn. I was telling Katie, I'm glad I never went that direction. One of, one of the sins I avoided. But, you know, it's true. The, the endorphins. The endorphins act, brain chemistry changes, and you, you start looking for that high. Um, in my pastoral ministry, I know people that are asexual who really don't have a sexual drive at all for men or women. They're comfortable at first being asexual. Uh, those, there are those people who follow Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, the gift of celibacy. Well, the word isn't in the Greek. But nevertheless, that's what Paul is talking about. People have dealt with the trouble with human sexuality in many ways, but to go in the direction of homosexuality, to go in the direction of transitioning, this is not what we want to be doing. This is a dangerous way to go and ultimately will not yield what the person's looking for. And this is another thing that Murray brings out and other authors that I've read, that the person who transitions thinks, now I've got this solved. My life is going to improve. I will be happy now. No. I'm sure there are those who said, wow, this is wonderful. But the majority do not. From what I read, Seth, they, they're further into uh, the quagmire now from which very difficult to escape from. Wow, and I, yeah, and I'm going to ask Katie too. You might have something you already want to say, and go ahead and say that. And then also, I wanted to ask you: did Did you want to add anything to you know how should parents handle it when their kids come up and say, "Man, I'm gay," or "I'm transgender," or, "I'm struggling with this"? But say, yeah, whatever you're going to say, and then maybe answer that if you have something to add to it. I think that one issue is that it seems to us from the outside in our heterosexual eyes that someone who wants to transition from one gender to another and we we think that it's something about a sexual attraction that if a male is actually being attracted to other males that's why he wants to transition to a female my understanding of it is that it, they're actually separate issues that the the what we call gender dysphoria meaning the the in, intense intense internal confusion 
the mental distress, the emotional distress that comes from this sense that one has of being literally in the wrong body is not directly connected with the idea of a sexual attraction. That it, that, and in fact, uh, I was given a book by the author, not a Christian woman, who wrote a book about being in a relationship with a man, and he uh, finally unhid his secret about having always wanted to be a woman and did not want to leave his relationship with her, even after becoming a woman, wanted to keep the relationship as best as he could. Now she could. And it, it, it just helped to show me that aspects of this are, are very, very confusing. We have on the cover of the book a pretend name badge, and we were able to fit 15 symbols of gender and sexual orientation. There are at least 110 different um, identifications between the idea of gender identity and sexual identity. And what we are finding is that there is now, because of so many differentiations, there is now this one word, queer. Well, it just means all non-biblical standard identifications. They don't say that phrase, but that's how we see it, is that anything but God's commandment will do. And so the new paradigm, the new standard, their new, that, that community's um, highest ideal is perfect fluidity, no set identity, nothing that, uh, that you cannot change in a moment's notice. Uh, it, it is getting more complicated, and therefore what the parents of, the grandparents of, the friends of, the significant others of, spouses of, people who start talking about wanting to do this, this is, it is only going to get more weird before we start sorting it out. Katie, one thing also said that... Um People have asked, okay, you're a pastor of a church, so somebody comes in the door and they have, uh, they have their transing kid. What do you do about that? And uh, my response is they're welcome. We're welcome. Sometimes we will say welcoming but not affirming. If, if a couple came and wanted to talk to me about their son or their daughter, granddaughter, grandson, I would simply act as a listener. Um, I wouldn't try to set a boundary or say something, well, they must or you're not welcome, anything. I would not want to do anything rejecting. Uh, On the other hand, I wouldn't say, I think this is a good thing to do. I wouldn't be doing that either. I would be happy that they would be present where they could receive some ministry, some encouragement. Worse come to worse, if the person went over and transitioned, these people are going to need some ministry. It's a tough road for a parent, even grandparents, um, or brothers and sisters, etc., or parents. Now, parents are doing this uh, of kids, and they're shocked. My, my dad is becoming a woman. My woman, you know, I, I more or less envision a welcoming environment, not an affirming, not giving, not sacrificing or compromising the biblical standard, because that's dangerous. Then they have no hope. 
Uh, one of the chapters in this is Taking Away Hope that I wrote about eight years ago. Once we say that, oh yeah, it's wonderful to be homosexual, there's nothing sinful about it at all. Once we do that, we take away a great deal of hope. Now the person is stuck. They're stuck in this identity. Stuck in this identity. And then, particularly if you transition or you make some kind of big out thing uh, and you identify and living with somebody of the same sex, now you're stuck. Here you are. How do you get out of that? How do you pull away from that? How do you repent from that? It's like there's no road back. And so I see in the pastoral ministry to keep the, keep the door open, be welcoming to the individual, listen to what they have to say, do your best to comfort and pray for them, and let them know that they've got somebody to come and talk to. When things go south, and they go south. No, that's great. Um, you know, I like that distinction you made there. Yeah, welcoming but not affirming. And I think that's an important one that we need to make and that often doesn't get made these days. And also, you know, talking about the importance of identity, we recently, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Christopher Yuan, but he's at Moody uh, Bible College. He, he's an Asian man who came out of a homosexual lifestyle, is now teaching there. And he writes, he wrote a book called Holy Sexuality and where he's dealing with some of these issues as well. And we had him on the show. And, you know, one of the things he and I know there's different ways that people try to cash things out to help people walk out of these struggles and or deal with them in, in a biblical way. But for him, he said, you know, the culture tries to tell you your sexuality is who you are, but he wants to say, no, this is how we are. But and give them a biblical framework on our identity really is the image of God and then Christ and, you know, helping people recover that type of thinking. When you talk to people who struggle with same-sex attraction or um, people who struggle with gender dysphoria, do you have those kinds of conversations? Like after you listen to them, get their story, and they're like, here's where I am, but I want help. Like from the ideological side, how do you begin to help them reconstruct a different mental framework so they, they can think of it in a way that does give them hope that they say, man, I don't have to think of myself as this is who I am because I can be new in Christ and all that. Does that make sense, that question? I wish I could answer that with experience in my background. I don't have that experience. I have yet to have that sort of event happen. It's going to start. It's going to start. And I think I'm trying to formulate that now, how I'm going to respond under those circumstances. My sense of it is, is I will respond like I would for just about anybody else who comes with some kind of circumstance that they're struggling for through, they know and identify as something they don't want any part of, and trying to help them through that sort of experience, just thinking through it, praying through it. But right now, I don't have the experience and the understanding. I had a little idea, Seth, a little term called exit out. Just exit hyphen out as something that we might do in our ministry. We have a starting a, a church for those without a church. And I was thinking of a, a Zoom class on Saturday at noon where people who wanted to talk about their experience could contact us. We set them up on a, in Zoom 
and we'll meet and sit and talk. My experience as a pastor and a counselor, I find their healing to be in a place where a person can talk about what they're thinking and what they're feeling, providing a safe environment to do that. And that's about all I can think of at this point, Seth, to provide that kind of an environment, a place you can be with others who will listen and understand, and you're safe, you're safe to talk about what's really going on. And now, so that's what the transgender issue, now how about with the same-sex attraction, homosexuality? I know you have had some of those in the past. Have you, um, have you s- been able to walk anyone successfully into living out holy sexuality? And if so, have you had cases where they have maybe even lost the attraction or become attracted to the opposite sex or even where they've wrestled with it for their lives, but they've, they've said, you know what, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to cultivate. I'm not going to give into it. Can you tell us about some of those experiences? Of course, at this stage of the game, it's hard to know what people will go through. I have seen people who have come out of the gay life, seem to be followers of Jesus and have gone back into the gay life. I have seen those same people come out again. It's a turbulent world. It's not simple. It's very confusing for a lot of people. Your sexuality can be very powerful. Dealing with guilt, dealing with shame, very hard. We fail. A lot of times, some of the people, you know, the dysphoria, that is a state of anxiety. I mean, on, on the neurotic neurotic spectrum, some of these people have moved fairly significantly into dangerous mental health states. So, so you're dealing with something that is, for many people, quite volatile. And what I found is you don't give up. You don't give up on somebody who announces, okay, they, I've overcome, I'm celibate, I'm, I'm good, or hey, I'm sorry. I'm, I, got, I can't handle it. I'm going back into the life. That was frequent during those days. By the way, Seth, one thing we never engaged in was what is called reparative therapy. Reparative therapy is the employment in a recovery process that involves sophisticated psychological technique. There are several brands of them. Uh, sometimes accompanied with medications, uh, particularly anxiety-reducing kind of medications, uh, and other forms that have been given the uh, overall title reparative therapy. We don't do that. I do not recommend that kind of sophisticated um, kinds of things because it it becomes kind of a mind warp for these people. Uh, and, And I don't think it's very healthy. I don't think it's very safe. And I don't think it has, over the long run, a, a, a high success rate. So I see particularly people, whether they're in the homosexual gay life, they're transitioning transgender stuff, what you want is a safe, loving, accepting environment. This is where the healing comes, particularly if the individual is able to be a faithful follower of Jesus develop a close relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, learn to be, uh, to be a person of prayer, person of Bible study. When, when you have those things and developing close relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, 
You you have a community. You have a congregation. You have a church family. See, all that is really necessary for a person who is leaving the gay transgender lifestyle. You've got to have something of substance, and that's going to be the challenge for Katie and I uh, going forward: is to try to develop mechanisms where this will help. Pe- we'll we'll be able to be there for people. I don't have the answers. I suspect that down down the road or some uh, that we're going to get some ideas and maybe convey that to the Christian community, uh, things that we discover that are helpful. But I see it in um, small groups. I see it in compassionate fellowship and true brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, that's how I see the hope for this. I, outside in the world, they, the outside of the world doesn't have that. Doesn't have that. It's not happening. Which uh, Murray, the, the British guy, who would, he would admit to that. So walking, walking closely with them and family, you know, realizing the stumbles, being there for them, and you're not a fan of reparative therapy, and, but maybe just continue to put the, the biblical word in helping people walk through that. Um, did you have something you wanted to add to that, Katie? So there's, we're talking about what we as adults can do with adults. Uh, when it comes to children, we're going to have to, uh, you know, have a little bit more kid glove type of approach. We cannot go directly to the child. We have to go through the parent. Uh, then there's what if you have children in the household, do you want to expose them to someone? For instance, my best friend ha- who is a believer has an unbelieving sister who is now uh, in a relationship with a transitioning man to woman. And uh, my friend does not want this person to show up in her grandchildren's environment. These are little children. And, of course, it's causing quite a bit of stress for that family. We understand that this is not necessarily something you want to expose your kids to, before they could understand what's going on and that they could even understand the objection to it. But um, this is, there, there, again, when, I'm, when I took the microphone each time, I'm, I'm thinking about all the layers of complication and how unclear it is how, how to divide up each situation from one another so that you can make the best decision. Yeah, that's a really helpful clarification. Thanks for uh, bringing that up. And I was going to ask, um, you know, when you have those situations, one thing I've noticed that's happening now, I don't know if you've seen this where you are, but we'll have friends that are struggling. And whereas in the past, I might have been like, man, I'm struggling, walk with me. Now I'm seeing this happen more often where they're like, you know, I think the church has it wrong. I've been reading Matthew Vines. I've been, you know, listening to, to this teacher and that teacher. And I think I'm going to just embrace who I am um, and still be a Christian. Do in those situations as a pastor, especially if these people have, you know, that are struggling, have influence in the church and they're kind of spreading this kind of theology into that, how does that change the issue of walking with them and being patient and just listening? Does that make a difference? How do you, how do you recommend handling that? You mean, Seth, those who are promoting that are okaying the transitioning? Well, there is such a thing as church discipline, and a pastor is going to have to look out for the church family that God has put him, him or her 
in association with. And I frankly would, if I found that was going on, I would have a conversation with them. And if they insisted on departing from the biblical norm, I would not be able to accommodate that. I would try to maintain a relationship with them, always let them know the door is open, but you don't want that, in my opinion, you don't want to have that influence spread into a congregation. I, I, would, I would have to practice church discipline. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good. And I'm looking here at, you know, I would just, man, I can't wait to dig into this book. I'm looking at these chapter titles that says born homosexual or not. That's a big issue that often comes up. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You talk about Jesus and Paul, which, you know, a lot of people will say, well, Jesus never spoke on homosexuality. So it looks like you're taking on the the big issues here. Um, Is homosexuality increasing? That's really interesting because that's one thing I thought, you know, would be interesting to ask you. Um, and then you cover these other books as well. So I, I know we don't have a, a ton more time here, but maybe I'll take a couple of those. Like, is homosexuality increasing? Is the transgender thing? You already talked about the crowds, the madness of the crowds, how it seems to cluster. What do you think about that? Is there, you know, I, I know in the past, one of the things has been like, we've said, well, the homosexual community is really very small percentage wise, but it, it's amplified through the media, but now it seems like it might actually even be growing, or is it kind of one of those things that just stays the same percentage-wise no matter what the kids see growing up and all that? Will you speak into that maybe a little bit? From the statistics that I have read just in the past few days, uh, the percentage of people who self-identify as homosexual is growing. It's understandable because uh, there is a certain restraint in a culture that has a, a history of saying no to certain things. When those, that's taken off, then the, the boundaries are expanded, so there's going to be growth. I think that there is an increased number of people who are identifying as homosexual because it's safe. Uh, there, there are people who are secret. They're quiet about it. They're not going to identify. Uh, that's how it was for so, so very long. You just had to be quiet about it. You're going to lose your job. You're going to have all kinds of problems, but now it's okay. It's even exemplary. It's even better. It's going to increase. It's going to increase. There are people who have muffled their sexual drive because they're scared and or have tried to get into the scene and it didn't work. The gay scene is not as accepting as you might think. Uh, it, and it gets really, it can get really perverse very quickly. You don't hear about that, but I know about that. I know more than I, I'm going to say on here because I get myself in some trouble. But it can be extremely perverse and horrible. Conscious searing. Conscious searing. And it's one of the things that I learned about in the 70s, horrific kinds of things. I didn't even imagine that people did that sort of stuff. The gay world is not that gay. It's not that wonderful. It's difficult. It's a mess, frankly. And there's a lot of people who get into it. Oh, my goodness. This is what it is. Uh, There's a kind of a sticker shock or whatever it is when somebody gets into it. But uh, despite that, 
there, as the culture accepts and is safeguarded, your behavior is safeguarded, you're, you're fine, you're certainly fine. It's, of course, going to grow. Only going to grow. I mean, that's what I, on the surface, would have guessed. <laughs> so um, that is interesting to hear. Well, this is a quick aside question, but just jumping back to the transgender issue, I've noticed you guys have kind of, you know, used the pronouns of when they transition. As, what do you recommend, like, just on a practical level, um, how do we address that in the church? Like, even when someone transitions, is it is it good to kind of call them by the new pronoun, the old one? Do we press? Is it case by case? What do you recommend for that? Good question, Seth. I, I love that question. If, if it were me, I would call them by their assumed new pronoun. I have a problem with the person who identifies, wants to identify as fluid, uh, to refer to them as they. I don't think I'd go that far, but, um, but somebody like Austin Hartke, who has transitioned from a ma- female to a male, I would call him Austin, and I would refer to him as him. I don't want to stir up b- a barrier, because with a person who transitions, that's a barrier. That's going to send them out the door, guaranteed. That's going to send them out the door. They will... If, if they don't, if they can't run out the door, they're going to close you off. You become non-existent to them. So in the Christian ministry, the pastoral ministry, I won't do that. In a, in a way, it's a sub-thing. It's, it's a sub-issue. It, it doesn't get me all that excited. Call them by the pronoun that they, they said, with the exception of, I, I don't know if I can go for they. They is a little bit over the top for me. But I want to have a long-term relationship. It's, it's uh, maintaining the relationship with the individual, which may be their hope. Once you cut that off, now, now you've lost the relationship. They're not going to listen to you anymore, and they might double down on you by rejecting, oh, a Christian pastor, well, I'm done with the Christian people, which happens, which happens, because we're, we have a tendency to be reactionary. Come on, man, we, get a, we, can, we can be judgmental. We can be judgmental, homophobic. Somebody says, am I homophobic? No, I'm not afraid of homosexuals. Nobody who has settled in their sexual identity is going to be homophobic. I find that the gay community tends to be heterophobic, particularly amongst the ladies. Particularly amongst the ladies, I'm sorry. You may want to cut that out, Seth. It's a, it's a little reactionary, or that's been my experience. Most of the problems, reaction I get, are from the uh, the L community, yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I can I can understand what you're saying. They're trying to build a bridge where you can. Is you know when when someone comes to you and they're and they're maybe saying, well, you know, yeah, God created male and female, but He doesn't say I had to stay male or female. You know what what what's a quick biblical case for not just giving into the whole transgender program? Like, why, why are, as Christians, are we against this in the first place? Well, first of all, it, it violates the creation uh, intention of, of God himself. Uh, it, um, we have to take the stand. We have to take the stand. Um, we have to take the biblical stand because we don't, again, we take away hope. We're consigning an individual to that which is going to destroy them both here on the planet and forever. And so it's, un, it's unpleasant. And what I have found in our county, the churches 
go with, for example, same-sex marriage. They go with the pro-gay thing. A number of them are flying the rainbow flag. That's no help to that individual. They think it is. The ministers and the congregations of those churches think they're being open and welcoming, not so from a biblical point of view. You've got to have your eyes on reality. And the biblical reality, there's heaven and hell. And except that our sin is washed in the blood of Jesus and we commit to turning away from our sin, we're lost both now and forever. And the larger issue is eternity, to being safe with Christ, to enjoy his fellowship, his love forever. All of this other love stuff isn't going to get it. It does not satisfy, doesn't get it, isn't going to fulfill you. And it's better to know that now. The primary love is the agape love, not the eros, erotic love. You know, we're feeding our feelings. We have become a narcissistic um, culture where everything is, what's good for me? Me, 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 me. We're self-focused. And I think that is a, a, the engine, an, an engine that drives the, the growth in homosexuality and the transgendering uh, experience. No, that's good. And, and I might be kind of scratching down too deep here, but do you— you know, you talk about destruction in this life and the next. You know, one of the one of the comebacks you will often hear for from proponents of pro gay theology against the evangelical church um, is that why are you singling this out? You know, this sin can't someone who's maybe not even the, as as far as the pro gay, but even the people sometimes that don't really have a strong position will say, well, you know, a homosexual can still go to heaven. They're just like any other sin or a transgender person still go to heaven, be a part of God's kingdom. Why, why, why maybe do you see that as a disqualifying issue? And um, is it maybe like, is, is, there a, is it a degreed thing, or is it, is it like a high-fisted rebellion thing? Can you maybe just break that down a little bit? Seth, I don't know that I'm going to give a, the best possible answer on that. Maybe in a couple of years I would do a little better. Yeah, I, I suppose that a person who is trapped in a homosexual mindset. If they're truly born again, they will go to heaven. It troubles me when a person says that I'm a homosexual and I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus. That troubles me. It's inconsistent. If someone would say to me, I'm a, I'm a drug addict. I, I love meth. I love to, love to shoot dope. Um, I'm wondering about that. I'm gonna, I got a problem with that. If somebody says that uh, I like to rob stores. Uh, I'm a thief, uh, but I'm a follower of Jesus, so I'm born again. says, I prayed the Lord's Prayer, the saving prayer, and so I got to be saved. I'm a member of a church and, and so on. Well, that's problematic because the natural thing is for a person who is born again is to turn away from sin. They're going to want to do it. They may fail and have trouble, just like you have, Katie has, I have. I've stumbled. I've fallen. I'm not as pure as the wind-driven snow, okay? Uh, and so we know that. But it's, it's the desire to turn away. It's the desire to be a follower of Jesus and not find a rationale so you can keep your rebellious sinfulness. Now, I think— you know, you said you might need a couple of years, but I think that's actually a pretty good answer. It's you're talking about the fruit there of, of showing what's really maybe at the root and 
you know, when you see someone who says, no, I'm not going to change that. I don't care what Jesus says. Well, what does it mean at that point to be a disciple of Jesus? You know, you might, there's something's missing. Uh, There's a disconnect. So uh, I think that's an important point. Well, I know we've went went quite a while here, but I really am looking forward to, to diving into this book. And you said you might have a part two with maybe coming out soon. With dealing with dealing um, with you know how to handle on the personal level, like as these people come, what we what Katie and I are hoping to do is um, provide a, a second volume where people are able to send in a thousand words or less about their experience, what they're going through with a family member or themselves personally. I think that might help. We we're not sure about this, but we're. <laughs> Katie's been talking about a, a second volume, maybe a part two, um, because I think it's vital that people are going through this struggle, either with family members or friends or themselves, to have somebody to connect with, to talk about the issues themselves, because a lot of people aren't going to be able to do that safely. They're worried about their safety. We would be able to be anonymous, simply anonymous, you know. But uh, we're looking forward to that. It's becoming apparent to us in our old age. We are very busy. We have three television programs, a baseball coach at San Quentin Prison and at Terralinda High School. I am overwhelmed uh, with work and how we're going to fit this in, Seth. I have no idea, but there's got to be some ministry following up, and I think it's going to be with people having at least an opportunity to talk with us over Zoom or to write us letters, emails, and connect that way in some ways. Well, I hope you do get that time because I could see that being very valuable for people. So I'll pray that uh, maybe something else drops off your schedule, but hopefully nothing that's that's uh, helping you make money. <laughs> <laughs> nothing makes money, Katie says. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that bat in your hand. Well, no, you know what you guys are doing is so helpful, and I can I can sense the love coming from this, and and there's it's not a judgmental thing, and I sense the welcoming but not affirming, and I think that is the biblical position that we that we see modeled in Jesus when he went when the prostitutes and yeah they're hanging out with the sinners they approach him, but he didn't leave them and say oh no no keep doing that you're good you know he said you know go and sin no more turn away and and I think and I think um that is hope when when we take away God's design and his truth, that's when we've really um, gone into a dark place. And we all know what that's like because, you know, any of us who have sinned, which is all of us, we usually get there by rationalizing it at some point. And if we, if somebody was in our ear telling us that that thing is good, they would further us in our destruction. And it would actually be the, the unloving thing to do. And I think um, this book is going to be a good starting point for helping people to think through this at a deeper level and it looks like you pretty much covered all all the bases with the with the ideologies and some of the stats with these things so i'm i'm really looking forward to jumping to it i highly recommend to you guys listening if you'll check this book out they can get it on amazon and uh probably other places but just the ebook and print um the third sex kent philpot he's got other books up there next time we do this which now will be closer to you so i'll have to run out and do this with our our multi-mic system but uh, I want to want to hit some of your other books as well, and maybe even dive deeper into this because I think after I read, I'm going to have even more uh, informed questions to ask you in the future. So thank you guys so much for coming and spending this time with us. We really appreciate your ministry. We'll be praying for you guys as you move forward. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, buddy. 
We hope you enjoyed that interview and look forward to even more coming next week. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can always email us, podcast at freemind.fm. We'd love to interact with you on social media at freemind.fm. And if you haven't yet, we'd really appreciate a five-star rating and comment in Apple Podcasts. You can go check that out. There's links to everything in show notes that we talked about and our social media and where you can give us feedback. And again, thank you for helping us cross that 100,000 download mark. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.